It is now time for Diary of a Wrestling Fan with Bill Chase. And now, here he is, the man who was DDP's mysterious benefactor, Bill Chase. Thank you, thank you, Mr. Podcast Announcer. Welcome to Diary of a Wrestling Fan, taking you on a journey of my 33 amazing years of being a fan of professional wrestling. Thank you for listening on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are streamed, except, of course, for Apple, because that requires more work, but I'll get to that eventually. Also, I want to thank all of you who have tuned in for the first two episodes. First episode, of course, being about a WWF Superstars taping I attended in 1992, and last week's episode about King of the Ring 2001. I got some good feedback on both of them. Even the, they aren't the largest numbers in the world, but again, they're still exceeding my expectations. And before we get the show on the road, a shout out, of course, to Pro Wrestling Ontario. Amazing competitive action housed in Burlington at Pro Wrestling Ontario. Follow them on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and of course, subscribe to them on YouTube. The link in, here in the YouTube video, actually, because this will also be streamed on YouTube. So check it out as well. And uh, hit that subscribe button. Hit that subscribe button to me as well. Please, I could really use the subscribers. YouTube is the one place where I'm getting barely any listeners. So, yeah, it's, it's sad to admit, but everybody can see my views on there anyway, but whatever. So, this episode. There are triumphs as, as a wrestling fan. The joyful moments that you never forget. There's the downtrodden moments that just make you roll your eyes. Then there's the tragic moments, which, albeit not as persistent, at least as a fan, not as persistent as the, the other two, but still very much valid. And despite the uh, the somewhat jovial nature of the first two episodes, uh, today I'm going, going over what I remembered about the Chris Benoit tragedy. So brace yourselves. Uh, as I record this, and as it will be released, it's after midnight now. So the 13-year anniversary uh, was technically this, uh, the last couple days. Uh, the 24th, of course, being the day that uh, obviously Chris took his own life from what reports have said. And the 25th, uh, we're actually on the 13th anniversary of when that tribute special aired on, on Raw. And... When a lot of these discoveries about what actually happened that whole weekend were starting to uh, come to the surface. So I'm going to take you uh, through the eyes of the fan of how I experienced things in regard to the tragedy, uh, to the lives of Nancy and young Daniel Benoit, and of course Chris taking his own life. In 2007, the world of professional wrestling, to be honest, through my eyes, seemed to be on an upswing. For some reason, I felt that, at least, and again, this is just me, but I felt the product was the best it had been in a long time. And again, I'm not one of those guys that likes to say, oh, the Attitude Era, nothing was the same. In some ways, that's true, but in the years since the Attitude Era, I found there were periods of time where the WWE was really good. And to be honest with you, 2007, I felt, was starting to be one of them. At least the year started off that way. I thought 2006 was pretty good in a lot of ways, too. So, I felt that this upswing was continuing. I'm not, I'm not, also, I'm not even saying that it was going to be like the resurgence or they were going to draw the numbers that Stone Cold Steve Austin did in the Attitude Era. But I, at the very least, felt that there was room for growth still. And, and I was hoping for it because I was enjoying a lot of the stuff that I was seeing on television at this point. Now, in regard to Benoit himself, going back a little bit. Now, I've been a fan of Chris Benoit since um, the late 90s in WCW, and he won me over, personally, the same way he won a lot of fans over in the end. And that was his ability as a master technician in that ring. Yeah, we know Benoit wasn't exactly... Uh, you know, um, he wasn't exactly the personification of charisma. 
he wasn't great on the mic, but I don't think he was terrible. I'm going to throw that in there. I think there were some pretty good promos he had cut in his career. Not everyone can be Ric Flair. And to me, that's why, again, I always respected him because he didn't have what a lot of wrestlers called it. A lot of what people in the wrestling business call it. But he had something. And I think it was because he had a way of engaging fans in the story of the actual match itself is what eventually got him over to a mass audience during his time with WCW. Because if you recall, like a revisionist history tries to tell us in a lot of ways that Benoit wasn't truly used properly or, um, you know, got over until he went to WWF, which is just not true. Granted, the used properly part, that can be debated. As an upper-tier mid-carder, Chris was used okay in WCW. Again, they could have done more with him, obviously. But you can name about a dozen wrestlers they could have done more with. I mean, that's just how wrestling works. So much talent out there that you just don't know what to do with. And I think, despite the problems WCW had, I think Benoit was one they didn't screw up as often as others. I will say that. But no, Benoit was getting really good crowd reactions towards the end of his WCW run. And even around, let's say, because I think his time with the Horsemen, that association, helped him. I think that the feud with Kevin Sullivan is mirroring now, again, which is more eerie now, considering what we're talking about right now, the whole scenario that we're talking about right now. But still, a lot of that stuff got him over with a lot of fans. And... To be honest with you, and it's weird to say this now, obviously, with everything that's happened, but the Kevin Sullivan feud is actually probably what got me into him more than anything. Because I hated Kevin Sullivan. And I wanted Benoit to kick his ass. So, you could imagine my excitement when Benoit, along with Eddie Guerrero, uh, D. Malenko and Perry Saturn jumped to the WWF because, again, these are guys I watched for years in WCW. And their appearance on Raw, which I think I'll, I'll probably get to in a future episode as a whole, I marked out like crazy. Especially for Benoit and Eddie. And I liked Malenko and Saturn, too, but Benoit and Eddie, again, those two. There's something that stood out about them above the pack. And you know, and, and watching Benoit ascend to the top, and again win the fans over eventually. By by the time about two thousand three came along, Benoit was really popular with fans. I felt, and his dramatic title win, that moment with him and Eddie in the ring again, it's been talked about a million times. It was incredible, and of course, a year and a half later, Eddie was gone, and you all know the story. Benoit just went out the deep end emotionally. Uh, and I, I can't even imagine what was going through his head. Now, for the record, I'm going to state right now, I'm not going to go over conspiracy theories here. I'm not going to go over, you know, the CTE issue. I, I, that's not what this podcast is about. And I'm sure there's a million other podcasts. There's a million other... Check out the Dark Side of the Ring episode, even. Which was magnificently done. Check it out. This is just how things went down. Again, that's the whole concept of this podcast in the eyes of this fan. Now, in June of 2007, like I said... Before this point, around WrestleMania 23, we'll even go back that far. Amazing show. That's the show where I truly felt WWE was upswing was truly happening. The Undertaker was champion again for the first time in five years. And he ever since reverting back to the dead man character three years prior, he had been writing a whole new, uh, uh, like just not that he ever stopped being popular, but just like, it seems like even after almost 17 years in the WWE, he was more popular than ever because he had a whole new dynamic of himself to himself. Uh, John Cena and Shawn Michaels had an incredible feud and later, you know, Randy Orton and edge got involved and, 
again, you look at this upper tier talent, and it's amazing how these talents came together to put on some pretty great TV and to put on some amazing matches. Pay-per-view quality at this point, I thought, was really good. I was not a huge John Cena fan, but man, could he bring it in the main event every single time. John Cena is a big match wrestler. And I will always say that whether you love him or hate him, and you don't even have to admit it, but he was a big match wrestler. Now, as for Benoit at this point, he had recently been engaged in a feud over the U.S. title against MVP. And it was actually a very intriguing feud that had a lot of great moments. And obviously, it would be the last great feud that Benoit would have, last great program he would have. And I felt that it did a lot for MVP. It truly took him to another level. And again, I that's when I started saying, just simply watching this guy, like MVP is a guy who can go places. And I was really um, drawn into the feud with him and uh, and Benoit. So, leading up to this, Benoit had been drafted to the ECW brand. Now, a lot of people saw this as a demotion, but apparently, the from what I heard, the motive behind it, again, was to give the ECW brand some credibility. The ratings were not exactly uh, skyrocketing at this point. Um, myself included, I didn't watch ECW all that much not because, well, simply their product didn't intrigue me outside of CM Punk, who obviously is going to be a bit of bit part of the story a bit. And when Benoit got drafted there, it made me as a fan want to watch ECW because I wanted to see what Benoit was going to do here. At this point, the ECW title uh, had been vacated. Because shortly after Bobby Lashley, yes, that Bobby Lashley, uh, won it off of Vince McMahon. Yes, I'm not making that out. Um, Lashley was drafted to Raw and therefore was um, had to be stripped of the title. So it was vacated. And Benoit, along with Punk, and what would turn out to be Benoit's uh, last televised match, Benoit would pin, or shall I say beat, Elijah Burke and to take the second spot to determine the new ECW champion at the upcoming Vengeance Night of Champions pay-per-view. And I was psyched. I was psyched. Because it's going to be Chris Benoit and CM Punk. I've been watching Punk for years at this point, uh, mainly through tape trading. I watch stuff in Ring of Honor, IWA, and wherever else, Full Impact Pro. And I was all for Punk when he came into the, the WWE main roster in 2006. He'd been kind of, been kind of just you know riding the mid card wave from 06 to 07 for about a year at this point, but still. Uh, I never see he was outright buried or anything like that. I'm like, okay, this might be him to the next level. I had no idea he was going to win. This is one of the most unpredictable matches on the card. And remember how I said how 2007 I thought was on an upswing? Well, things started to get a little strange. The injury bug was hitting the WWE. And it mainly started with The Undertaker. Or, I sh- or sorry, I shouldn't even say that. It started earlier in the year with Triple H, but still the product was still thriving. But The Undertaker then got hurt. Not long after winning the title from Batista at WrestleMania 23. And Edge had to step in, cash in a Money in a Bank briefcase, and become the champion once again, which was fine. I love Edge. Edge is one of my favorites at this point. And so he started a few with Batista. Now, I wasn't really looking forward to the Edge Batista thing because I just felt, I don't know, to me, that's just not something wasn't clicking there. I mean, these guys have worked so, like, you know, they've worked so well with others, but just simply watching this, I'm like, yeah, something's not right here. Because I, I went 
to, I had actually attended a SmackDown taping in London, Ontario, not long before this uh, the show. Especially, I think the uh, might have been the go home to one night stand. I'm not. I can't. I can't recall if that it was a if that was it. But yeah, I had to look that up again. I don't know. if It was the week before. Or, yeah, and actually, I think it was the go home show before the one night stand pay per view, and. And I actually actually saw Benoit and team up with Matt Hardy. Yeah, that's that's right. It was against MVP, and I want to say the Miz. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it was the Miz. I saw Benoit live again just less than a month before all this happened. So it's even more surreal. But anyway, I digress. So, yeah, so I was at a SmackDown taping, and there was an Edge Batista segment. And it was just really, really generic. To the point where myself and my friend Heather, who was at the show, were laughing about it kind of after. Now, I wasn't a huge Batista fan, but I didn't dislike him. I enjoyed a lot of his stuff. But uh, Edge was a huge fan of him, so it was a little disappointing. And it didn't make me all that more intrigued for the few. The, few. the matches themselves were fine. Like, I, I didn't have a criticism of the matches, but still just was lacking that electricity that some of their previous feuds have had. And after watching that show, I'm thinking, yeah, this is... This, I don't know. Maybe that upswing I was hoping for isn't going to happen. Uh, not long after that show, RVD, Rob Van Dam, one of my personal favorites, left the company. So yeah, strange things were happening. And the injury bug that hit now was about to get a lot worse throughout the year. So, after that taping, after the One Night Stand pay-per-view, I'm thinking, okay, you know what? You know, with the draft coming up, it could be a good shakeup. So, as I'm getting ready to watch this pay-per-view, I had watched that episode of ECW where uh, Benoit had defeated Elijah Burke, which would turn out to be his last match. Punk and he going face-to-face. That got me all the more excited. I'm like, oh, this is actually going to happen. This is actually going to happen. And I was just so excited. I just rubbed my hands together in excitement for this upcoming match. So I made my way uh, all the way from my apartment to QB's in Burlington. It was a sports bar uh, which showed uh, WWE pay-per-views monthly. Now, in the previous podcast, I had mentioned my tight bond with my friends uh, Jeff, Tom, and John. At this point, I had grown apart from all of them, pretty much. Um, John had kind of... John I'd still seen somewhat often. Jeff I'd actually saw that prior weekend, oddly enough. John and I still hung out semi-consistently. Tom had kind of disappeared. So... Again, and I was still going to church at this point. But, again, I was feeling just alone. My roommate, Ben, who put up with a lot from me. And he was a good friend, but we didn't have that, you know, that tight bond. We weren't, like, best friends, you know. And it it was a weird time for me. I knew that... I was going to have to find a new place. I was stressing. Because Ben was moving uh, moving out of town to be closer with his family. So it was, it was a weird, weird, weird time. And it wasn't about to get any better. Usually at QB's in Burlington, I would meet up with my good friend Paul Cellini. Who actually might even be listening to this. Fiara, how you doing, Polly? Now, at this point, Paul 
was not digging the the, the WWE product overall as much as I was. Um, and his all-time favorite wrestler is The Undertaker. Now, he knew The Undertaker was going to be out for a significant amount of time, so that is why he wouldn't watch this pay-per-view. And I felt kind of stupid because I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to be alone to watch this. And I think this pay-per-view, and again, because I, I, I met a bunch of people at QBs. I called them my QB crew. Um, my friend Heather and uh, her friends. But then there's also my uh, my buddy James, who also might be able to know this. So a bunch of them were there. And I was watching uh, watching with them. A few of them were missing, so that's why I felt they might have to watch it alone. But as usual, you know, I order my food. And, you know, and, and this is what, what made pay-per-views fun, even during a time where, you know, maybe the product wasn't all that intriguing. To still get together with my friends and just have fun watching wrestling. That's what it was all about. So the show started with uh, Lance Caden and Trevor Murdoch beating the Hardy Boys. Uh, I actually didn't mind that feud, Caden Murdoch and the Hardy Boys. And Hardy's actually just reunited not long before this. Uh, it was late 2006 they reunited, and they just uh, continued to team up on and off until they finally were just taking up full-time again. Um, then I, uh, Chavo Guerrero against Jimmy Wang Yang. <laughs> I like the Jimmy Wang Yang character. I don't know. Some about it. I just always liked it. Uh, it was a cruiserweight match. I remember it being pretty good. And then came the time I thought I was looking forward to. Then they made the sudden announcement that Chris Benoit wasn't there. And I was like, well, where the hell is he? And I was highly disappointed when Johnny Nitro came out. The future John Morrison. To face CM Funk. I'm like, well, what the hell is this? I remember saying to my friend James, like, what What do we, why? Like, where's Benoit? So I, right, of course, right away, I get on my phone. I look, I try to look up the dirt sheets. But it, again, because even, say what you will about the dirt sheets, usually when a wrestler got hurt or couldn't show up for something, they usually would find out the reason by that. Nothing on Benoit. Nothing. I'm thinking, well, this is weird. I'm thinking, okay, maybe they suffer a last-minute injury backstage or something like that, or warming up for the show. Did he miss his flight, I even thought? And I also thought, is there a family issue? Again, none of us knew what was going on. I was just disappointed. I didn't even enjoy the match. And I and I didn't mind Johnny Nitro. I liked the stuff with the... Him and Joey Mercury and Molina. Like, I actually liked him. I thought he was really talented. And But again, I just couldn't enjoy the match. I was disappointed that what I was about to see didn't happen. So, I don't know. Maybe Another one I thought was he suspended a wellness suspension that they just haven't announced yet. But even, like, you know, during wellness suspensions, as history has shown, they will still have someone work a match that was announced that, uh, and they'll just have them, I guess, lose. Like, and and that's what I thought, too. I even said that. I said, if it's a wellness suspension, wouldn't they just have him put Punk over? And then disappear? he'd disappear and serve a suspension? That's what you, I would have thought, because I remember they did a similar thing to Jeff Hardy, uh, I think, in 2008, when he uh, would drop the Intercontinental title to Chris Jericho and serve a suspension. And after that, I, 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 Nitro won. He became the ECW champion. So the rest of the show, you know, I'm trying. I'm trying to get into it. <laughs> I mean, that was the match I was looking forward to the most. Um, actually, you know, Santino and Umaga. Santino was the, it was the Milan Miracle um, angle, just to follow up from that, and uh, he had like a short match with Umaga. Uh, MVP, Rick, actually the MVP Ric Flair feud. Okay, actually I did enjoy that one. I actually thought that was uh, thought that was a pretty good, uh, pretty good feud. 
And MVP would win that match. And uh, then there was Deuce and Domino. Remember them? Uh, taking on Jimmy Snuka and Sergeant Slaughter. That was something. <laughs> Edge and Batista. Uh, I, yeah, oh, that's right. The stipulation for Edge and Batista was it was the last chance. Uh, Batista's last shot for the title as long as Edge held it. And wouldn't you know it, uh, not long after this, Edge got hurt. <laughs> Crazy. Edge would uh, win by countout, though. And then there was a women's match. Uh, Candice Michelle Molina. Then the interesting main event. It was a five-pack challenge where former champions uh, qualified, I guess. It was uh, Cena defending against Lashley, Booker, Mick Foley, and uh, Randy Orton. Cena would win that match. So... This was not a bad show, from what I recall. It just was nothing overly memorable. To be honest with you, even just like going over in my head now, looking at the results, some stuff's starting to come back to me. But again, of course, with what would happen after, what are you going to remember about this show? I know it's not like, you know, Owen Hart, where you literally remember nothing about the show. But, yeah. So again, I, I go home that night. I believe James drove me home. And we're talking about it. We're still wondering what happened. To, that's right. We're still wondering what happened to Benoit. And, uh, and then we just talked about a bunch of other stuff like we do with wrestling. And eventually he drove me back to my apartment. I went to bed that night without a, much of a thought in the world. You know, it didn't like, you know, didn't bother me that much. But it was still intriguing. So in the morning, I get up, I look at my phone, again, because this is nothing new to me, I would check the, you know, wrestle zone every morning, that was just, that was nothing new, still nothing on Benoit, so I go about my day, I believe I went to the mall that day, yeah, I actually went to the mall that day, got Chinese food. And then I would go to my young adults group at my church. And so I'm going about the night now. Usually, like, you know, because Monday nights is raw, I would usually tape it or whatever or watch the replay at 12. And so as I'm... As I'm talking to uh, this girl I knew named Natalie, who I thought was a smoke show, <laughs> I had a thing for her big time. My conversation is interrupted by my uh, my pal, uh, Mike Vertu. And he informs me that you won't believe this. I'm like, well, what? Chris Benoit and his family are found dead in their home. And right away, I just remember freezing. And I'm thinking, his family... So and right away it clicked well obviously Nancy. And like, oh god, that little boy. And my conversation with Natalie that was going really well just kinda stopped because I was frozen and it just kinda disintegrated and Mike checked on the computer, went on WWE.com, and there was all this stuff about paying tribute to Ben Wan, how that, that night's episode of Raw, which was slated to be a three-hour special, which was to continue the story of the demise of Vince McMahon, which I will use a whole other episode to go over that. Actually, I actually can't believe I forgot to mention it. Uh, short, like long story short, again that was this other thing that kind of killed the upswing for me. Was that whole thing? I hated it. Wasn't. I remember watching that limo blow up with Vince supposedly inside, and just like, you gotta be kidding me. Seems though just everything just went downhill after Taker's injury. I mean, there was some good stuff. Again, Edge being champion again was good. 
But like I said, he'd be gone not long after this with an injury. I mean, it was just... Uh, things were not looking good. So anyway, we went out to Kelsey's that night. And I remember a guy by the name of Wayne Tullock had offered me to move him with uh, him and his, to be his new roommate. Because again, Ben was leaving, I had to move out. Because nobody would take up his lease, his part of the lease. So, despite how I was still thinking about the Benoit thing, I was also thinking about how how was I going to um, find a place to live. So that was at least a relief. So then, that night I was staying at my parents' place, actually. I went to my parents' place because I would stay there occasionally. I would tell my mom about it. Much like my friends at the church, they just seemed indifferent to it and didn't care how it affected me. Because they laughed at the notion of professional wrestling. At least the bulk of them did at this point. Remember how I said when I first got to church I wasn't judged for that sort of stuff? That that changed over the years. So I went to my parents' place. I told them about it. And at this point, my, my father and I weren't talking very much. At all, really. And when I was talking to my mom about it in the kitchen... My dad arrogantly said that uh, I'll bet everything I own that it was a double murder-suicide. And I just, ugh, I nearly lost it. I was like, how dare he? Like, how dare he? He's like, you know, like, why is he so goddamn arrogant? Like, and my mom was trying to calm me down. and Yeah. I called my friend Paul. I mentioned earlier again he wasn't watching pay-per-views with us because the Undertaker was hurt and he wasn't going to start watching until he came back and uh, we both discussed it was a fucked up situation so around this time shortly after Paul and I uh, hung up turned on Raw And watched a magnificent tribute show. Which I felt paid their respect to memory of a, one of my favorites. Little did I know what was going on with police investigators uncovering all these things. So, after watching that tribute show, and people talk about William Regal and his comments. At the time, I honestly didn't notice anything. But in hindsight now, obviously, with that benefit, it makes sense. So I went to bed that night, woke up the next morning, this is the Tuesday And I went to the library. Because my laptop had just broken at that time, so I didn't have much access to internet other than my phone. So I go to the library, and lo and behold, it's all coming out. It's all coming out that uh, Chris Benoit had murdered Nancy, murdered his son, Daniel, and then hung himself. Now, yes, I didn't know Chris Benoit or his family. But when you attach yourselves, you attach yourself to someone who you're emotionally invested in as a performer, 
be it an athlete, an actor, or a wrestler. I'm not going to say you feel like you know them, but you feel like that they were a significant part of your fandom. There was a reason, you know, people react to certain ways to celebrities. And it's often criticized, and it's at times it's well-warranted, granted, but there are also times where, well, the significant impact they had made meant something. And Chris Benoit had made a significant impact on me as a wrestling fan. The fact that this guy, this Canadian boy, that's again, that's another reason I liked him. In a world where being charismatic on the microphone and having an outrageous personality was what got you the main event spot. Or having the right look. To me, he was he looked menacing. He looked, you know, like he just ripped somebody up in that ring. And eventually worked so hard to get himself over. Despite not having what some of the other main eventers had. I couldn't help but respect the guy. I bought his t-shirts. Cheered for him loudly at every show I saw him at. Jumped up out of my chair when he became champion, finally. 2004, WrestleMania 20. I couldn't make sense of any of it. And with my personal life going under a very weird, not weird, but this crazy transition where, you know, the first place I had lived in on my own, an apartment on the mountain on Upper Wellington Mohawk here in Hamilton, I was losing it. I had to live with another roommate who I didn't know overly well, but knew well enough that I thought I could get along with. Just set the tone of a summer that I did not enjoy. These details coming out day after day. And while I'm making the effort to reorganize my life again, on, you know, having to move out, move into a new place, I watched complete and utter morons who had no business on television like Nancy Grace or Geraldo Rivera talk about something they knew absolutely shit about. I denied it to myself for a long time. I thought there has to be another isolationist. There's just no way he would do this. But again, that was ignorance on my part. I was 24 years old at the time. And for some odd reason, despite the fact that I was an adult, I guess I was just naive in this situation. I just didn't want to believe it so much that something at this point what I had devoted 20 years to, that this could happen in the world of professional wrestling. This guy happened to a wrestler I practically worshipped. No. I, I choose my heroes carefully, I thought. I, I thought it was a lot wiser than that. But I wasn't. And... Deep down, I knew, though. I knew it was true. What they were saying was true. And it's not the... Not the the actual crime itself that pissed me off about what you know the so-called TV journalists are saying. Nancy Grace, who the moment someone disagrees with her is like, whoa, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm like, shut up. Geraldo Rivera, who has always been an ignorant moron. And just watching this all unfold, like, oh, it was a headache. It made me question my fandom for professional wrestling. Very few things have. This was definitely one of them. And with other things going on in my life, again, feeling alone, I had my um, my good friends, uh, Adam and Mike, who I, I met at church. They were close friends. I kept trying to talk about the situation with them. They didn't give a shit. Because again, they thought my professional wrestling fandom was a joke. 
in in the weeks, the days and weeks following this, the WWE distanced themselves from the situation and putting a media ban about Benoit later on. They both said as they were together, you say how one of the, I think it was Mike who said to me. He said, "We, you know, you say how the media is putting a ban on the the, the WWE is putting a media ban on the Benoit thing. Well, we're putting a ban on you with it. You don't talk about it anymore." I was pissed. I felt they just did not care about anything that was affecting me at all. My fandom for wrestling was so diehard at this point that. Like I said, something like this to happen just driving into question. And as time went on, as more ignorance from the media was popping up, but still the realization that what he had done was true, I actually got rid of my, my Benoit shirts. I, I got rid of them. I didn't get rid of the DVD, though, oddly enough. I still have it. Still haven't watched it to this day. I've watched numerous matches of his on the WWE Network when I do like a, a binge watch of watching Raw and SmackDown in order from the days where he was still around. But I'd never gone out of my way to watch the DVD. I continue to try to watch wrestling... I just, like, I could not, could not get into it. I watched the Great American Bash pay-per-view, which happened a few weeks later. Again, offhand, I think I remember a, a match with Cena and Bobby Lashley, and I, that's all I really remember about that show. And that, yeah, that's not long after Edge got hurt, so. But of course, I'm still doing this podcast day, and eventually my fandom returned not long after. Not like I stopped being a fan, it's just, it just, it's almost doing it out of habit at this point now. And the events that summer just, things got worse. I... I moved into this place with the man Wayne who I mentioned. There was a couple disagreements over the rent. And rather than face me like a man, he wrote me a letter saying that this arrangement isn't working. Rather than talk about it to my face, he talked behind my back to his friends. And even though I had done things that warranted this not working out, he handled it like a snake. And my time there was literally a month and a half. I moved there in mid-July. I was out by the end of August. And with my tail between my legs back home again. What finally, after watching shows that I have it, and still paying attention to the product, my fandom was reunited when started to get better when The Undertaker returned. Him and Batista engaged in a Hell in a Cell match where Edge made a shocking return disguised as a cameraman. So I was right back into things again. And then, rather than cry about what my favorite, one of my favorite wrestlers did, I realized two very innocent lies were taken in this whole situation. Nancy, who herself was a great performer for many, many years, starting in Florida when she was really young, alongside Kevin Sullivan and his Army of Darkness, and then later on WCW, ECW, you know, she was. She was a great character, and she played it to perfection. And she was an innocent woman who didn't ask to die. Daniel was a little boy. (sighs) 
I knew I had to put this out of my mind. Not because I didn't want to, you know, what's the word? I didn't want to dishonor anybody's memory. In fact, there's three people are dead. But as a wrestling fan, it was a trying moment that just tied into a lot of bad things happening in my life at that time. But of course, I finally just realized one day, it should not have affected me in the way that it did because I didn't know them. But in hindsight, I understand why it did now. Could I have been a little overdramatic at that time? Maybe. Maybe I was. I'm sure some of my friends will attest to that. But at the same time, though, if they had a little more understanding, then maybe I would have got through it a little better. Because what were to happen, and again, I'm just using this name for argument's sake, but someone who was, you know, looked up to a lot, say Michael Jordan, again, a man who was idolized the world over, snaps and does the same thing Benoit did. It'd be hard for a lot of people to fathom. Now, maybe Benoit wasn't as famous as Michael Jordan, but I felt about him the same way a lot of people felt about Michael Jordan. Benoit was easily in my top five until that point of all time. So, well, I let it get to me more than it should, which is what I take away from this, and it did. Same time, life, life went on for me. But yet, I feel terrible for the families. Obviously, Nancy's family. I feel bad for the Benoit family for having to live with this as well. How so many people were affected was sad. And again, sounding over traumatic, I was, I was just having trouble understanding the world around me at this point in general, not just this whole situation. And yeah, my wrestling fandom continued. I continued to go to QB Sports in Burlington. I was living at home again, which was not fun. <laughs> at least at that time. So... That is my recounting of probably the worst story in my professional wrestling fandom and maybe the worst story in the history of professional wrestling. And I hope that the families of this situation, again, as I watched on Dark Side of the Ring, check it out if you haven't seen it yet. I hope the families are healing he healing from this pain and it looks like they're stepping in that direction some of them are because I can't even imagine can't even begin to fathom what they went through or what they're still going through can't even begin Whew, oh boy well <laughs> As downtrodden as this episode may have been, um, I want to thank you all for tuning in, obviously. I know it's not my best quality episode either, but, you know, brings up a lot of not-so-good memories, not just with this whole thing, but just in general in my life at that point. But uh, I still guess something about sharing these stories with you all. Because, again, I believe wrestling fandom been a huge part of my life, still is. It's uh, something to... Uh, something to uh, enjoy and another reason why I feel so downtrodden right now is as I record this the speaking out movement has begun it's just another dark time professional wrestling I mean some good might come out of this granted unlike you know the Benoit situation but some good might come out of this it'll make people promoters wrestlers all of the world over uh, reanalyze things and put certain things into place. So, reminiscent, maybe it wasn't the right time to uh, 
Let's go down memory lane on this one, but I, I don't regret it. But next week, we're going to pick things up again on an upswing. Now, I know I've been focusing on a lot of WWE stuff. Even one person asked me, Bill, when are you going to do some WCW? Well, you will not have to wait long. Because next episode... Oh, yes. Next episode, I am going to be talking about one of those nights that quote-unquote changed the game forever. Of course, I am talking about the night where Hulk Hogan did the unthinkable. I think you all know what I'm talking about. Bash at the Beach, 1996. N-W-O. That's right. Don't even need to go any further because you all know what what I'm going to be covering next week. Hulk Hogan shocks the world. And I can't wait to do that one because I had a lot of fond memories at that time. I was only 13 years old. Oh, so much good to reflect back on in that era. So if you want to follow me on social media, uh, you can find me on both uh, Twitter and Instagram at BillChase33. On Facebook, I'm simply Bill Chase. Um, if you want to add, I'm I love social media. Well, I'm not loving Twitter too much these days, but I love social media. So uh, feel free to interact. Uh, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on YouTube if you're if you're listening to this on YouTube. And subscribe and check out Pro Wrestling Ontario as well. So until next time, this is your friend and mine, Bill Chase, telling you. Don't you dare miss it. Thank you for listening to Diary of a Wrestling Fan with Bill Chase. If you'd like to make a contribution to Bill or the show, just go on Skip the Dishes and send him some sushi.